So this is a reading from the book of Amos, chapter 5. Work it. Work it out. Work it out in the public square. Work it. Work it out. Work it out in the public square. Seek good, hate, evil, and live. You talk about God. 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 Being your best friend. Well, live like it. And maybe it will happen. Hate, evil, love, good. Then Then work it. Work it out. Work it out in the public square. Work it. Work it out. Work it out in the public square. I can't stand your religious meetings. I'm fed up with your conferences. And conventions. I want nothing to do with your religious projects. Your pretentious slogans. And goals. I'm sick of your fundraising schemes. And your, <laughs> and your public relations. And image making. I've had all I can take of your noisy ego music. When was the last time you sang to me? Do you know what I want? I want justice. Oceans of it. I want fairness. Rivers of it. That's what I want. That's all I want. 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 Work it. Work it out. Work it out in the public square. Work it. Work it out. Work it out in the public square.
look, nobody look. Oh, he's looking. I just caught him. I just caught him. He was looking. Okay, so, so I come. Is that better? Am I on? Okay, so I come, and, and we're in tears, and, and we said we need to pray. And um, it was so powerful. And I need to thank you, the people of Mancus, because you welcomed Robin and I with a hospitality and a generous spirit that we have carried ever since. And we said we can't wait to go back to Mancus. And I don't think Craig believed me, because I kept saying, invite me, and he's like, oh. But he finally did. And, and it's such a gift to be with you all. Such a gift. The power of your ministry, the witness you make that extends far beyond Western Colorado, but literally to the halls of justice in Washington, D.C. So I just want to pray for you. Will you pray with me? Gracious God, what a wonderful thing it is to come together to worship you, to draw strength from your Holy Spirit, to, to be surrounded by those who are seeking to walk faithfully the path you set before us, to learn from each other, to grow from each other. We don't have to all agree, but when we join hands, the path grows clear. I give thanks for this congregation, for the witness they make, for the way they are truly a sanctuary, a place of safety, a place of healing, place of hope, a place of holiness. I ask that your Holy Spirit continue to pour out upon them, that they may continue to be surprised at where your Holy Spirit leads, because it always leads us to a place none of us ever expected to go. Amen. So before moving to the Mountain Sky Conference, Robin and I lived in the only necropolis in North America, Colma, California. With 17 cemeteries, the living in Colma are never very far from the dead. <laughs> and the living residents are always reminded of this. In fact, when you arrive, the town gives you a bumper sticker. It's great to be alive. <laughs> Because literally there are 1.5 million dead people and 1,500 living people. <laughs> so so when, you, when you live in Colma, you know, you collect a lot of stories about death. So I'd like to share with you one today about two men who loved each other dearly. One had a terminal illness and died while the other was out of town. When the man heard that his friend had died, he wept. And all who saw him weeping said, look at the depth of his grief. He loved him so much. 
A man made his way back to town where his friend had lived and died, and upon arriving, asked to be let into the dead man's crypt. A sister of the dead man told him, Oh, Jesus, he's been dead for four days and wasn't embalmed. If you open that tomb, there's going to be a terrible stink. Jesus, however, cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! And the dead man came out. His, his hands and his feet were in bandages, and his face was wrapped in a cloth. And Jesus told those who were around, Unbind him. Let him go. We have a, a great deal to learn from this story because too many of us, while still living, are forced into tombs. Incest survivors. Those who have been battered. Addicts, the unemployed, the underemployed, those with opinions or, or commitments contrary to the status quo, lesbians, gay men, bisexuals, transgender, queer persons, for all people who must keep a part of their life hidden, tombs are a place of death that suck the life breath out of us. Closets are tombs. And tombs are meant for the dead and not the living. The forces of death are all around us, unmistakable in their brazenness. The stench of death assaults our nostrils daily. Health care continues to be a privilege rather than a right in our country. The results are either too many can't afford health care or go bankrupt when faced with life-threatening health concerns. The sin of racism in our country against persons of color, against immigrants fleeing violence for sanctuary within our borders, has placed too many men, women, and children in tombs of hopelessness and injustice. Our nation has been enforcing an unofficial law against walking while black or brown carrying with it a punishment of death that has left too many black and brown mothers and fathers weeping over the tombs of their children. In spite of scientific evidence and calls from the global community, environmental issues are being backburnered so as not to hinder big business profit, entombing all living things in toxic crypts of global warming and pollution. Heterosexism and homophobia fuel implied and very real threats against LGBTQ persons, entombing queer folks in tombs of lies, silence, and half-lived lives. Now, some of you know I, I served a church before being elected bishop called Glide Memorial Church in San Francisco, 12,000-member church with 87 social service programs, um, when I arrived there 11 years ago, the very first person I met there was Tyler. We went out for coffee, and, and he shared about growing up in a church that he loved, a church that, when he became aware of his sexuality, condemned and ostracized him. The brokenness he experienced by a community that was supposed to be an agent of God's love 
and grace devastated him. And he sank into a life of addictions. Because while he knew in his heart that, that he loved God, because of what the church told him, he no longer believed that God loved him. In time, he, he found a church that enveloped him in God's love. He loved all of who he was with open arms. And he became clean and sober. And he became a lawyer. And this is what he'd do. He would regularly do what lawyers do best. He'd, he'd earn a bunch of money. But then he'd take six months off to go to poor countries and teach children how to read. So as he sat across from me, he told me the most amazing story, how uh, a couple of months ago he had been in Tanzania. And so he was, had taught these kids how to read, and then before he returned home, he, he wanted to go into the, into the jungle to see chimps, right? How could you go, how could you come home without seeing chimpanzees in the wild? So he hired a guide who said, oh, I know where there's some chimpanzees. And so they set off, and they macheted through the jungle and up at down mountains. And they got to the place, and there weren't any chimpanzees. <laughs> so the guy said, oh, it's this time. I know, I know where they are if you want to go further. And Tyler's like, I've come this far. I'm not going to go home now. So they can machete their way up and down and... and, and and they got to the top of a mountain and saw a waterfall. And at its base, sure enough, there were chimpanzees. But as he looked, he saw something that he had to look twice because there was a woman watching the chimps. A white woman with long gray hair. Jane Goodall. He raced down the mountain and stood before her, struggling to get his breath back. He introduced himself, and she looked at him in the eye, and those of you who have seen her demeanor in interviews, looked him in the eye and asked, why are you here? So he told her he was from the States, and he's a lawyer, but, but he loves to earn a lot of money so he can, so he can teach reading to people, and, but he wanted to see chips. And, and she was silent and said, why are you here? So he took a deep breath. He thought maybe he was talking too fast. And he was <laughs> so he said, well, I'm a lawyer. But my real passion is teaching children how to read. So I came to Tanzania, but I wanted to see some chimps. And so we figured, I finally connected with this woman. So she knows why I'm here. Do you know what she said a third time? Why are you here? At that point, he looked me in the eye. He said, I've been trying to figure out the answer to that question ever since. <laughs> Tyler made several more trips 
to third world countries. And then about six years ago, I, I performed his funeral. Because the early rejection he had received from his church community, the messages that he was sinful, an abomination, incompatible with the church's teaching, had left a wound that was too deep to heal, and he felt unworthy of the gift of life. And he committed suicide. Goodall's question is now my question that I ask myself. Why am I here? Am I extending the love and grace of God to every person I meet, every person who enters the doors of the church? Or am I making some feel unworthy? The message the United Methodist Church gave two weeks ago to LGBTQ people, their families, people who sit in the pews with them. It's this. Why are you here? But it's not meant in that thoughtful, soulful way that Goodall offered to Tyler. Because the message the church is giving LGBTQ persons is you're not welcomed here. You're not welcomed here in the denomination. You know, when, it, when an LGBTQ person enters a United Methodist Church, they have more to worry about than, I wonder if I'm sitting in someone's pew. They have more to worry about than that. They have to wonder, can we still be ourselves and be welcomed? And when they're not welcomed, when any person regardless of sexual orientation, gender identity, race, class, whether they're undocumented or documented, whether they're addicted or in recovery, whatever education they've had or not had, when they are made to feel unwelcomed, a part of them dies. When a clergy person doesn't have the courage to perform the wedding of a same-sex couple who have served their church faithfully, that couple experiences a death. When a baby is refused baptism because he has two moms, that family experiences a death. There are souls rotting in our pews and pulpits. There is a stench from lives that are forced into closet tombs. But there's one thing I'm sure of. The God who made us has more in mind for us than these closet tombs of death. The God who made us desired that we live free and unfettered lives. The God who calls us beloved honors us with dignity. The God who made us summons every person here today, every person, no matter who you are, to come out. Come out of the darkness and death. Leave the tombs of despair and injustice and embrace life in all its fullness. And here's where we who follow Jesus find hope. Death is never the final answer. Never. Try as others might to keep, to keep 
us in tombs, we are always and forever reminded of resurrection's power to break open our closets of death. Oppression and injustice fall in the face of love's redeeming work found in resurrection. So Jesus stands at the, at the door of our closet tombs and calls us to come out. But he doesn't stop there. You'll recall that when, when Lazarus stepped out of his tomb and he was all bound up, Jesus turns to the community and says, unbind him. Let him go. Lazarus can be released from death's chains only if those around him free him from those binds. Rob Rines reminds us that there is a ministry of unbinding one another, of letting people go. This is a, a Moses ministry of imperative for individuals, families, institutions, churches, systems, and nations. Let my people go. Say that to the person next to you. Let my people go. Dismantle the chains of oppression. Dismantle the economic and political arrangements that, that make and keep people poor on the outside in order to create a healthy reassembling of those systems. It's time for us to heed the prophet Amos. I can't stand your religious meetings. I'm fed up with your conferences and conventions. I want nothing to do with your religious projects, your pretentious slogans like, Open hands, open hearts, open doors, but that's another story. <laughs> Hate evil. Hate evil. Love good. And then work it. Work it out. Work it out in the public square. Because you, you see, the Holy Spirit can't be trapped by bigotry and prejudice. It's been moving through this country as, as more and more Americans realize that they know and love people who are LGBTQ and these family members and friends in the United Methodist Church are participating in, in the release of our denomination from heterosexism and homophobia, just as Jesus called the community to unbind Lazarus. The conversation in the public square has shifted dramatically now once the Supreme Court affirmed every loving couple's right to legal marriage. So it's time for the United Methodist Church, which was once called the most Americanized of denominations, to have a come-to-Jesus moment. Will we ignore how the Holy Spirit is working in the public square and in people's lives, or will we allow our denomination's social witness to be informed by it. This denomination has increasingly stood outside of the public square, unwilling to participate in life-giving conversations with LGBTQ persons, with people of color, with undocumented people, with poor people. We've been too content with keeping people within our church and closets clutching our prejudices and biases like pearls and twisting a theology of grace into something so unrecognizable that we use, our, 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 we use it to justify our rejection of God's children rather than embrace them as our kin. As a result, we have fostered injustice within our denomination and beyond it. 
we've removed ourselves from the public square. And as a result, the church is becoming increasingly irrelevant to future generations. We must stand firmly in the public square and seek justice of it, oceans of it, and fairness, rivers of it, making connections between our own liberation and the liberation of others. No one is exempt from receiving justice and fairness. We all must work to challenge and confront anything that creates tombs of death and stands in the way of justice and fairness. Anything that seeks to create second-class citizenship. Anything that seeks to deny the dignity and self-worth of any of God's beloved children. And make no mistake, we must put the same energy we're putting into our own liberation into the liberation of others. Because as Martin Luther King reminded us, we are all interconnected, whether racism or sexism or heterosexism, ableism, ageism, classism, whatever ism shackles the souls of our, of our siblings must be broken. We must take a stand against evils and oppressions in whatever forms they present themselves. You and I are called to create crosswalks of hope at the intersections of oppressions so that love will overcome hate, life will outlast death. This is what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. This is what it means to co-create with God, beloved community. So, my siblings, it's time for us, we who follow Jesus, to start a ministry of unbinding. Mary warns us, as she warned Jesus, there's going to be a stink when we open tombs. And don't we know that to be true? So let's raise a stink to high heaven against injustice so that the dead can choose life. Let's make a, a consecrated stink so that our churches can stop creating closets. Let's raise a holy stink against oppression so that the tired old bones of the church can live again. Let's create a, a sacred stink so that every child of God, no matter who they are, will know that they are beloved, worthy of God's love, made for the purpose of spreading God's love even further. Let us leave behind our closet tombs of death and seize the life that God intends, one that affirms our lives, confirms our love, blesses relationships, and consecrates us all to the holy task of unbinding our siblings from all that enslaves them so that they, so that every single one of us, every single one of us, all of us, might find ourselves wrapped in God's great love as we make together beloved community a home 
for all of God's children. Amen.